Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile, found sometime last week, has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. Late this afternoon, a bulletin from New Mexico suggested that the widely publicized mystery of the flying saucers may soon be solved. Army Air Force officers reported that one of the strange disks had been found and inspected sometime last week. Our correspondents in Los Angeles and Chicago have been in contact with Army officials endeavoring to obtain all possible late information. Joe Wilson reports to us now from Chicago. All right, you're with Conspiracy Corner at Valencia College Radio with Lacey. And Kara. Welcome back. Hey, how's everybody doing? Um, welcome back to Conspiracy Corner. Thanks for joining us. Um, what are we talking about today, Lacey? We are talking about Roswell and Area 51. We are. Yep. So, bear with us, y'all. This is a lot of information. It's a lot of confusing information. Um, but we are going to present it the best we can for y'all. Um, all right, let's just go ahead and dive right in. Do you want to say anything before we start? No, you can go ahead and get started. All right, so we are just going to start with what is Roswell? Um, so Roswell is actually a city in New Mexico, and in... 1947 there was a strange occurrence that happened so better yeah okay um so what happened so there was a farmer named mac brazel or brazel um and he was out on his ranch doing you know just general ranch stuff riding his horse um and he found strange foil-like material um, around Foster Ranch was the name of the ranch. So anybody who finds some strange material um, in their yard or anything like that, he reported it. So he was, um, Sheriff Wilcox came out. So he was in contact with Sheriff Wilcox. So he came out to, and we'll talk about him again in a little bit too. But So basically you have Mac Brazel, he... Um, he goes and he reports all of this debris on his land. It looks like aluminum foil. It's pretty strange. Um, but then things start to get pretty weird. So um, the Roswell Army Air Force Base sent in um, backup to help to assist the sheriff's office with the search of the debris. And this included Major Jesse Marcel. He was or Marcel. He was a base intelligence officer and winner of five air, air combat medals in World War II. This is pretty important because um, he is going to be a key player in this story. So um, it's important to note that, you know, five air combat medals. He was pretty well respected. He'd been around for a while. Um, he's not somebody who's going to – he's not a whistleblower. He's not somebody who's going to um, just, like, make stuff up. He, he had nothing to gain from it. Um, and then you have Grady L. Barney Barnett, and we'll just refer to him as Barney. He is a civil engineer for the Roswell, or was, for the Roswell Army Air Force Base. Um, so Barney found the disc-shaped object, as he referred to it as, inside, and inside were hairless humanoids. Um, an army van rushed in and ordered him away immediately, affirmed 
it was in his patriotic, he affirmed it was in his patriotic duty to remain silent um, about what was seen. So basically a bunch of people came in in a sketchy van. Which is, you know, kind of sketch. Yeah. (laughs) And said, don't talk, don't don't ever talk about this. Um, And, you know, he was like, okay. So um, a a lot of these recollections, and we're going to talk about accounts and allegations later too. Um, but a lot of these didn't happen right away. So they came back later and they were like, I remember seeing that or I remember doing that. And I think that's pretty important too because it, it shows that people were actually scared to talk about it. They weren't just going and saying, oh my gosh, we saw a flying disc and stuff. Yeah. It's also important to note, um, I'm not going to say... UFO. I'm going to say like disc or flying saucer. Oh, I'm gonna say UFO. Yeah. <laughs> well, just because um, I think unidentified flying object is a little more vague, and this is like th- we are talking about a flying saucer that crashed into the ground, um, or are we? But hmm. and we'll talk about some more theories later. But I just I really want to talk about um, like the timeline before we get into all of the allegations and things. Um, I'm surprised some of these people didn't get killed for knowing stuff. Well, that's a conspiracy in itself, actually. So there's actually, like, a lot of UFO researchers and stuff who have gone missing or were mysteriously killed. Um, And uh, I don't know. There is one woman we're going to talk about today. She is unnamed, um, but we are going to talk about her. She did disappear afterwards. But I think as far as this goes, she was the only one. Until, um, like... I think it's like the 90s people weren't really saying a lot um i mean it was like in regards to just what they saw what they thought they saw hmm. um now that doesn't mean people didn't speculate and that doesn't mean that people didn't question it but i mean it definitely came back around in like the 80s which we're going to talk about that as well how it right was brought back up but so going back to the timeline so most of the time you're going to see that on July, the evening, the late evening or early morning of July 2nd to July 3rd, 1947 is when the crash happened and discovered in my birthdays, actually. July 2nd, fun fact. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you have July 2nd, apparent, 1947, allegedly this um, disc crashed. And then in July 3rd, 1947 is when Mac Brazel discovered it. Um, there is a date discrepancy I have seen in a few resources um, that July 4th was the crash, but July 5th it was discovered. It didn't make major news until about July 8th. So, gotcha. That's um, it, there was like a period of time there, and like I said, there were army vans. There was all this stuff happening. Um, so, Mac Brazel, he had heard of UFO sightings, but I mean, we're talking about a real simple fella. Like, he's not, again, he has nothing to gain from this. He, I believe he genuinely reported it because he saw this stuff on his ranch and he was like, what the heck? Why is all this stuff on my ranch, you know? Imagine, like, going out into your ranch and just seeing a bunch of random crap. Yeah. In in your yard, you're like, um, what? (laughs) What? I will say, um, in all of the books, documentaries, and web pages I used to research this I didn't see anything that says that he saw the human the hairless humanoids which right so the alien bodies um he talks a little bit but I mean he's he's again not he doesn't have anything to gain from this so he's not going out telling everybody 
um, you know, hey, this UFO or this disc or this alien spaceship crashed on my yard. Like, he's not, he's not the one going out there and saying all of that. Um, and actually, a lot of our reports come from the Air Force Base, um, old air pilots and things of that nature, and we'll discuss them in just a moment. But, um, so, um, so that's pretty much how the day went. Um, Mac Brazel was also asked, like, he was escorted off. He was asked to, you know, remain off the, that part of the property. It was, it was secluded. It was, um, it was marked. So nobody was going in except for the Roswell Army Air Force Base. Um, so moving forward a couple of days to July 8th, um, a base camp commander at Roswell, I could not find who or which one um, in any of my sources, but a base commander at Roswell authorized a press statement announcing the discovery of a flying disc in the area. The Roswell Daily Record released a news headline on July 8th stating RAAF, Roswell Army Air Airfield, captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region. That mm. afternoon, so this is the morning, so you wake up, you go out and you get your Roswell Daily Record and you sit with your family and you eat breakfast. Um, and then that afternoon, the story changes. Oh, God. So abruptly, the story, um, what they changed their story and insisted that the debris recovered was from a high-altitude weather balloon, not an alien craft. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of sketchy. This <laughs> is where everything kind of spiraled out of control. Um, so the July 9th paper, the correction was sent <laughs> out. Um, and after Hout, which he is the, um, sorry, I just lost, Walter Hout. So he is the public affairs officer at Roswell Army Base. Um, and he set out the um, announcement that, you know, just kidding, it's not a flying saucer, it's not a disc, it's not an alien spacecraft. Um, this <laughs> this announcement had already re reached 33 newspapers in the area that day. So this is on the 8th. So the morning announcement. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that, so he was another public affairs, he was a public affairs officer at Roswell. Um, so he got the information from the unnamed base commander, which I mean, I probably wouldn't release my name either. I'd probably be really embarrassed. Um, <laughs> but so he was the public affairs officer at Roswell Army Base. So he worked with this guy, got this information, and was like, okay, flying disc. Um, Roswell Daily Record and 32 other newspapers set it out. And then the next day, they're like, mm, just kidding. So Hout was told directly um, to refute his statement that it was very clearly a weather balloon and not a flying saucer. Um, at this point in time, um, Mac Brazel was apologizing to people that he was sorry that he had even told anyone or had even mentioned it. He didn't want this kind... Again, he doesn't want this kind of uh, publicity. commotion, publicity. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, they're now on his ranch, which is probably how he makes all of his money and yeah. stuff. And, um, you know, he can't even go on to certain parts of his own property, so... Oh, so they did, like, exile him from certain parts? From the crash site, so crash site. Yeah, from the <laughs> crash site um, of the weather balloon. The weather balloon, yes. Um, and we've posted on our Instagram. We didn't start with that. That's what she started with. We, uh, right. we posted we'll on our Instagram that a picture of 
um, Jesse Marshall, the major base intelligence officer, and he, um, we posted that on our Instagram, him holding up the debris, and we'll talk about the debris later as well. Um, I just, I want to keep it kind of in order, that's why I keep going back to things, but um, just to kind of see, I mean, this looks like aluminum foil. This is not... Doesn't look like anything that's extraterrestrial. Right. And it will get more into the debris because it becomes more extraterrestrial, but we're talking about very simple, very, very... Fake looking. Fake looking yeah. materials. Um, and I, I just don't think uh, Brazel expected that kind of a reaction from everybody. So. Right. Um, but yeah, so then... Um, then you started getting all the eyewitness accounts. So civilians who had arrived at the crash site, excuse me, um, claimed that they had seen corpses of small hairless beings. Most eyewitness accounts spoke of five alien bodies, but only four corpses. So this leads us to the whole alien, um, extraterrestrial one got away story so it's rumored that one of the alien crew survived and was transferred to hangar 18 um that's a hangar at the wright patterson air force base in dayton ohio there are conflicting reports of either the alien crew member being kept alive at hangar 18 or all the corpses just being brought to hangar 18 um brigadier general arthur exon states that in addition to debris from the wreckage four tiny alien cadavers were flown to the to wright field now wright patterson Air Force Base, so it's no longer called Wright Field. Um, and many UFO researchers, as late as 1986, believe the alien was be being was kept alive and treated as a guest of the Wright Patterson. Kind of sounds like they were doing research on them. Yeah. So I've seen a couple different conflicting views. One says, yeah, that you know they they treated him as a test subject and. Um, there's another one that states that, uh, a lot of people are saying that they are helping us, like, reverse engineer our, like, the alien technology to advance our technology and stuff like that. So it's, it's hmm. just really interesting. It just goes to show they had these crazy news stories happen. Um, people started talking. It was just, the whole thing in general was just super suspicious. And so... I mean, that's basically it for the timeline. Everything after that is a lot of... I mean, it's going to be a lot of speculation. It's going to be a lot of, like, he said, she said. Um, we do have some really good allegations. And then we're going to talk about um, some of the other elements of it. So the debris, the alien autopsy, and, of course, Area 51. So hang tight, and we will be right The next day, reporters heard that the Air Force had found fragments of the mystery object crashed on a remote ranch northwest of Roswell. Excitement ran high until officials announced it was only a weather balloon. Major Jesse Marcel, in charge of the operation, now tells a far different story. They took pictures, of course. They had a whole flock of microphones there. They wanted me to, to they wanted some comments from me, but I wasn't at liberty to do that. So all I could do is keep my mouth shut. And General Ramey is the one who discussed or uh, told the, the, the newspapers, I mean the newsmen, what it was and to forget about it. It was nothing more than a ob weather observation balloon. Of course, which we, bo we both knew differently. Major Marcel had to keep silent because of his strategic position at that time. 
He was in charge of all security and intelligence on atomic tests in the United States and the Pacific. All right, so that is Major Jesse Marcel. He was the one I had mentioned earlier. Um, he is the one with all the awards and things. So again, it just helps show you that you know he was kept quiet. He felt he need to keep he needed to keep quiet, or else you know he might have been killed. Right. Yeah. So and well, he didn't know that. But. There were a lot of people threatened, and we're gonna get into all the allegations and you know people who were threatened and what people believe happened and um. Once the news thing happened and people started talking, it just spiraled out of control. Um, but the public interest on it didn't um, reemerge until about 1980. Yeah, that's when uh, some of the allegations started to come about, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in 1980, public interest reemerged when Charles Berlitz and William Moore, with some material by Stanton Friedman? Yeah. A nuclear physicist, unaccredited. So um, they wrote the Roswell incident, which was a publication, but right. they did, so it was Berlitz and Moore, but they did not credit Friedman, but you'll see that um, he put in a lot of work. So he did a lot of, a lot of the dirt digging for them. Yeah, where the alien craft had in fact crashed in Roswell in uh, mm -hmm. 1947. Um, alien bodies were re recovered that the debris was from the craft uh since it was like nothing that existed on earth and the weather balloon story was a cover-up to pretend his uh prevent hysteria over the alien invasion which you know none of us want <laughs> right and so a really good example of that is um the war of the worlds <laughs> um the broadcast so I don't know what year it was off the top of my head, but um, you guys know the story of the War of the Worlds. There's a Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise Actually, movie. Actually, I don't, I don't know that one. Um, it's like an alien takeover. Okay. But there's like a movie now. I believe Tom Cruise is in it. Um, anyway, so, um, so that just tells you that um, it, it was a big deal. It was a good remake because he's not a cheap actor to get. Right, so. he's definitely not. Um, so... It was a War of the Worlds, though, was originally a radio broadcast. So there was a radio, um, a radio ch uh, show, and they would read stories. And um, they happened to do this one one night, and it was about a alien takeover in, I believe, Los Angeles, like of all places. Um, so you can imagine that if you are listening to a radio show, you can listen to it whenever. So you can tune in or whatever. And um, so people were tuning in halfway through this story. So this is being presented to them as an actual alien takeover. This caused major panic through the community um, on a small scale of listeners. Um, but still, it still, called his it still caused hysteria and panic of aliens, which um, I think since that day they have tried to avoid at all costs and even probably before that i mean just in general you can see in television shows movies anything anything um media related that they present a lot of ideas that and they kind of want to see how people would react bird box being a good um i think um a good representation of that so like what would happen if we had this thing we couldn't see you know yeah so, um, but yeah, so their whole publication, the Roswell incident, that had present that presented new potential evidence because of all those pe people they had spoken to. Oof, that's a doozy. Do you want to read the first one? So, 
Lydia Sleepy, is that how you pronounce her name? Sleppy. Sleppy? Sleppy. We'll go with Sleppy. Um, in 1947, Lydia was typing out the story of the Roswell crash when an incoming telegrapher, telegraph interrupted her saying, Attention, Albuquerque. Do not transmit. Repeat. Do not transmit this message. Stop communication immediately. And if you follow us on social media, you that was your hint as yes, to uh, what our show was going to be about today. So... I mean, I didn't get any responses, but yeah, <laughs> it's pretty plain and simple it what was, that was about. If you Googled it, it would have it would have definitely popped up. The Roswell incident. Um, yeah, you can still buy it on Amazon and things like that. So it definitely would have still popped up. Um, but so basically, yeah, she was met with this incoming telegraph that was saying, "Hey, don't you dare basically post this or, right. or push this through." Um. During this same time, Arthur Exxon, so this is the Brigadier we spoke about earlier. Yeah, from, um, he was the one that stated that the tiny alien cadavers were flown to Wright Field, uh, hmm. which is now Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So he was met with two Roswell researchers and um, he was retired at the time. About the, he was met with them about the unusual debris. So. Um, he stated that the debris found at the crash site was indestructible despite being lightweight. Um, a retired USAF officer, Brigadier General Thomas DeBose, came forward as well, stating that the White House was involved in the cover-up and the weather balloon story was false, which, again, is nothing we haven't heard yet because right. that we've talked about how everybody came through and said, you know, this was fake and this was a cover-up and... So it's just a thing. Um, Honestly, I'm not really believing this weather balloon story. <laughs> it just, it was too convenient. It was. It was. It was too convenient for them to, like, out of all of a sudden, oh, oh, oh weather balloon. Um, and we'll talk about, because my first instinct is, okay, a weather balloon. Why couldn't you tell us about a weather balloon, right? Yeah. So I'll talk about that in a little bit when we get to the theories, um, because apparently it was a super secret weather balloon. Not just Ooh. a regular weather balloon. Like a high-altitude weather balloon? Um, kind of, yeah. yeah. And, like, we'll get into that. But it's just crazy, like, oh, you couldn't tell us this weather balloon was going on. And then if it was just a weather balloon, why was Mac Brazel not allowed on his own, like, property? property? Why yeah. was everybody rushed out of this, like, accident scene? It just, just didn't line up. And a lot of people had a lot of questions. So... These couple of stories that we've mentioned so far, so you have Sleppy, Exxon, and uh, DuBose, they caused an influx of people and sources to back up the Roswell alien crash story. Like, out of nowhere, people were just, oh yeah, I saw this, or I did that. Um, so, another big one, um, Glenn Dennis. So, he was a New Mexico mortician, and he recalled being asked for child-sized coffins for the Roswell base. Hmm. Um, and these coffins were also, they were not just um, child size, but they were airtight, which I don't know a lot about coffins. Um, I don't know if they're all airtight or not. Um, I tried to look up a couple, but it, when you ask for, like, for an airtight coffin, it was like a, a special request at the time, probably because it was kind of strange. Child sized, yeah. yeah. Especially since it's child sized. Yeah, um, and they asked for multiple. Um, documents from the Secret Government Committee, Majestic 12. So this is a committee of, well, allegedly, this is a committee of scientists, government, and military officials that um, investigate alien spacecrafts. Um, and they 
allegedly, from these secret, like, documents, confirmed the recovery of alien bodies at Roswell, and then a 1995 film surfaced showing an autopsy on one of the recovered aliens, and we will get into that in just a moment. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That, yeah. Um... So, of course, though, with the influx of sources came the influx of skeptics. Of course. Holes were found in many of the stories that had been released to support the alien crash story. Um, skeptics proved the alien autopsy and the Majestic 12 documents to be hoaxes. Um, there was not much on how they proved this. Uh, I can say that, yeah, I, I don't know. I definitely am not a fan of the alien autopsy story, um, and I'll tell you why when I present you the evidence. But going back to Majestic 12, I mean, you could say any paperwork is real or fake, especially when it's an unclassified or Well, if we're talking about classified stuff, there's a bunch of blacked out stuff. Right. So it's not even like we're being told the whole story. Right. Which we've seen with the JFK files and some of those other things that have been declassified for the public. Quote, unquote. Right. You can't see the air quotes that Kara's doing, but she's doing air quotes. I do air quotes a lot. (laughs) Um... I just, I have so many things to air quote. <laughs> well, you gotta make sure to say air quote. Air quote. <laughs> um, so, but apparently the skeptics quickly proved that these things were hoaxes. Um, declassified documents from the 1940, from 1948 were revisited that included a secret memorandum by an Air Force intelligence officer reporting no physical evidence of the existence of an extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial craft had been obtained. Uh, mm-hmm. Marcel... So, Jesse Marcel, we're going back to him. Um, he's the gentleman you just heard in the last clip, and he was the one who was on the crash site and saw this debris. Um, he eventually contradicted himself about whether or not the debris he posed with in the 1947 photograph, um, that, which we posted on our Instagram for you guys to see, was the recovered debris or switched material. So, when Marcel was put in an... He was brought into an office um, at the Air Force base with a couple other um, Air Force officers. And he... They laid out a bunch of the material around him because they were kind of looking into it. And he immediately was like, this is not the same material. This this has been switched. It's not correct. So, he started to... Now, he started to be like, wait a second. This isn't the same material. Um, But originally, when the photos were released, he did... He said that, the, you know, this is the debris, blah, blah, blah. But um, it then he later came back and said, you know, the debris had been switched. But that was the debris he was in the photo with. So it was right. hard. Yeah. It was just, there was a lot stuff of... looking a little fake around here. Right. There was a lot of stuff people said that they took back or that they said and then they changed their mind. And um, I don't... I don't see Marcel being the person who changed his mind or who took back what he said. He did wait so long to speak about it. He didn't speak right away. So it's just kind of weird that there was a contradiction in there. That is a little weird. Um, So since the publication of the Roswell incident, many UFO researchers have suggested that the U.S. has back-engineered the alien technology from the Roswell craft, and this may have happened to Area 51. So we'll get into Area 51 a little bit too, but... um, Yeah, so like I was saying earlier, so the alien is being kept, um, whether he's at Hangar 18 or whether he's at Area 51 or some other private alien research base, um, he, they still believe that, um, this alien technology is being back-engineered, which, now, when we get into the Area 51 stuff, it kind of makes more sense. Yeah. Um, 
I I kind of believe it. The Area 51 stuff, I right. don't I don't know. It's hard to say whether the Roswell stuff is real or fake. It's just, I don't believe the air balloon story. No, though. yeah. And it's just so, I don't know, it just didn't help that there were so many. When you research Roswell, everything you watch, everything you read, um, it just all kind of goes in a circle. And, and that's for a reason. They don't want you to come to a conclusion. Yeah, they don't want you to figure it out. No. Yeah. So I, that, I think, helps me believe. I think something crashed. I think we have seen aliens I think we might have them in some of these hangars or these, you know, Even research facilities. But yep. I don't know that they came off of this ship. And I don't know. Right. Um, I don't, I mean, back engineering alien technology, we are talking about aluminum foil style pieces on the ground. Like, this is the debris we're talking about. And now yeah. all of a sudden we can back engineer that. It just, the pieces just don't make sense. They, they're all over the place. Um... And I just, that's, I think, what I'm having the most trouble wrapping my head around. Um, Many people, though, so uh, moving forward, many people, including Nick Redfern, so he um, had a film called Body Snatchers in the Desert. Is it a film or a book? It's one of those. Uh, It's a film or a book. I don't remember. (laughs) Um, But it's called Body Snatchers in the Desert, 2005. uh, And it was in 2005. That he was one of the ones that said that the Roswell craft was on a mission to experiment on human beings. So this started like a, another view of these these cre- these potential creatures coming to um, you know see human life. They were no longer these sad little victims in child caskets. They were now, you know, a threat to mankind. Yeah. So it just kind of I think spiraled a little bit there to make them to make them more um, of a negative image. Um, so after all of, after that publication, the U.S. Air Force released two documents to hopefully stop the speculation. Hmm. Yeah. That, it only got Strange. worse. Yeah. In 1994 and 1997, the 1997 document was titled The Roswell Report Case Closed. This concluded that witnesses are mistaken about when events they saw occurred and they are seriously mistaken about details of the events. This, of course, did not stop the counter-reports from taking place, and the UFO community was torn on whether or not a UFO flying disc alien spaceship had actually crashed in 1947. So now you have Hmm. all of these people in this publication saying, yes, we saw aliens and we saw all this stuff, and we saw debris and we saw a crash site, and now you have this government document that drops and everybody's like oh trying to cover it up yeah right clearly a cover-up and you have these people like well maybe it wasn't aliens (laughs) so it just it could have been this yeah it just didn't it just sent you back in a a circle everything sent you back in a circle and so going back to glenn dennis so that is our new mexico mortician um he what in the night there's a magazine called the american funeral director so the 1994 one of the 1994 issues um he spoke on the phone about the phone conversation that he had with the roswell army air base mortuary officer about the need for the three foot to four foot airtight caskets right not long after though dennis was on the base as an ambulance driver and noticed quite a bit of metallic material so some of this debris they've talked about Mm mm-hmm 
Um, Dennis, again, honorary member of the Basis Officers Club. Um, you know, this is another well-respected member of this community and um, a really important member. So he um, was sat down firmly and um, he was told someone would be picking his bones out of the sand if he ever spoke of the strange happenings or what he saw. So again, th so this is our first real threat. We'll talk about another couple threats in a second. I have a couple with Area 51 yeah. as well. Yeah. So this is one of our major threats. So, um, yeah. So then in the hallway, he noticed people holding towels covering like the lower part of their face. Like they like were covering from like a scent or something. Hmm. And he noticed one of the nurses, well, he knew her. So, um, he thought she had been crying, but when he tried to approach her, she said, get out of here, basically. Oof. Yeah. Um, and then the next day, she met with him at the officer's club and told him that three alien bodies had been recovered from the crash site and that until they were frozen, the smell was nauseating. Um, huh. So, like, that's why they all had the towels because they couldn't right. breathe. They couldn't it was breathe. disgusting. Yeah. yeah, which goes back to the whole airtight casket deal. Ooh, maybe they didn't want the smell getting out. Right. Yeah. So, um, and that would be a better way to help, like, preserve the bodies. Right. Um, she was very emotional when explaining the aliens. And then um, short a short time after, um, it's never really specified. It's just always a short time after is how it's usually listed. But Dennis was later told that she was transferred to a base in England. And then later after that, told she died in an airplane crash. But either way, Ooh. he never saw her again. See, that sounds like she told Dennis too much. Right. But I'm surprised he didn't get killed for it. But he he doesn't have to believe it. She's right. the one telling the information. Correct. So I think yep. that's what made her the threat. Um, but it what I thought was so strange is so they met the day after he had seen her in the hallway at the officer's club. Like, they met on the base. Why wouldn't they go to, like, <laughs> like books a million or something? True. Like, why were yeah. they at, you know, and, like... I just thought that was really strange because clearly, like, she knew there was a threat because she told him to go that first day, but yeah. then she's, like, giving him all this information. So, um, that's pretty much all we know about Dennis and the nurse. The nurse is never, her name is never listed, um, and there's not usually a lot of information on her, so you just kind of have to choose what you want to believe with that, unfortunately. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, another publication we're going to talk about, and then we will finally talk about the debris. Um, it was called UFO Crash at Roswell, and this is Don Schmidt and Kevin Randall. So they actually met with the granddaughter of the sheriff, George Wilcox, who I mentioned in the very beginning, um, in March of 1991. And she told Schmidt and Randall that her grandfather had seen debris of the UFO and the little space beings, quote. Um, but she was later, but was he was later visited by men who were not kidding and warned him and his wife to keep quiet or they would be killed along with their children and grandchildren. So again, another major threat. Um, this is the sheriff of, you know, that county or that district. And so I think that's kind of a big deal too. Like you're threatening, you're threatening some of the top dogs now. Right. So it's not like you're just threatening to get a little serious. civilians. Yeah. Um, they also spoke, so this is Schmidt and Randall, also sm spoke with Miss Frankie Rowe, who was only 12 at the time of the crash. Oh, wow. Yeah. Her father was a lieutenant for the fire department at the time, um, at, and he, one night at dinner, 
told the family about seeing the debris of the flying object. He oh, also come on, spoke, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Getting out of control, man. You guys can't keep anything in anymore. Um, he also smoke, spoke about seeing two small beings that were taken in body bags. I also think it's weird that, like, all the numbers kind of differ. So, like, the yeah. nurse said three. He said two. A couple people said three. And then there was, and there was four, four originally. Yeah. yeah. So, again, take what you will. So, it's, like, lowering. Yeah. Which is really strange. Right. Um, he also spoke about seeing two small beings that were taken in body bags and one small being being walking around in a day so this is again that alien that might have made it out alive um so shortly after surprise surprise a group of military men visited the house and stressed that if they ever told anyone they would be taken in the desert and never found yeah well, that's a threat if I've ever seen one. Yeah. So, again, and going back to the funeral director, he was told, like, his bones would be in the sand and stuff. So, they were not playing games. I, I would not doubt that there are bodies out there in, in the desert. Um, I'm pretty sure that there probably is. Yeah. <laughs> so, and again, so last thing about her. So, she also recalled being 12 and visiting her father at the fire department when a New Mexico State police officer came in with debris um, he claimed was from the crash site when the officer threw the material on the table. It unfolded itself in a fluid-like motion. A few days later, a group of military men warned the group they must never talk about the debris and the officer that the officer had showed them. So, again, um, just, you know, threatening the whole fire department. No big deal. I'm really interested to hear about this debris now. Yeah, so let's talk about the debris a little bit. So, um, it was referred to as memory metal or morph metal, and then later named nitinol um it was named at the Battelle memorial institute where the fragments were sent to and stored and could potentially still be today um it was here that they discovered it was a fusion made from combining nickel and titanium at an extremely high heat now keep in mind this is from the Battelle memorial institute so they this is what they are saying about it so it's a combined nickel and titanium we don't actually know that there's only a handful of people who even said like what it looked like how it functioned and stuff who's like even that. actually even seen it in person right yeah so i think it's important to kind of take that with a grain of salt i mean we don't actually know what this material is made of but it was given an official name um but most people along the way have referred to it as memory metal or morph metal it the pieces varied in size from four inches to four feet again not really anything you're going to be reverse engineering mm-hmm. from an alien spacecraft um, it had certain pieces had hieroglyphic like markings on them. Um, a lot of people don't talk about this and they don't go in detail about it. Um, they were just referred to as hieroglyphic like markings. It was unbreakable, would not burn, and it had um, more of a wood than a metal kind of feel to it or like, hmm. like a body to it. So it was a little bit thicker, a little bit sturdier than your typical aluminum foil. Um, but it was, or yeah, well. Yeah, so it was... And you could crumble it up. Referred to as aluminum foil a lot. It looked a lot like aluminum foil. And in the picture we posted, and some of the other pictures from um, books and websites, it is actually... um, It does look a lot like aluminum foil, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, It also... Yeah, so it would not burn. It could not break. It had jagged, flexible fragments that could not be broken. Um, And yeah, so people, especially um, Marcel and... Um, a couple others, uh, Brazel from the original farm, they talked about like crumbling it up like a like a ball, and it would always like return to its original shape, which was really like memory strange. Memory foam, right? Mm. Um, and 
I mean, when we're talking about this metal, guys, it's not super thick. It's not super, it doesn't look super strong. Like in these pictures, it looks like somebody pulled out like aluminum foil or I mean, those like aluminum style like suits or something that you would like wear. Yeah, it doesn't look super strong. Um, the firefighters, so the ones that were threatened recently or prior, um, they were, they examined the piece, the officer showed them carefully and they observed that it could not be cut, burned or kept in any other shape than its original shape. Right. Um, in 1978, Jesse Marcel, Marcel spoke in a filmed interview about handling the material and then how you could crumple up the solid metallic substance into a ball and it would always return to its original shape. Um, in 2003, Redburn, so from Body Snatchers in the Desert, met with an elderly man that he calls the Colonel, so his name was never released for um, you know privacy purposes, who stated that the U.S. Army's Foreign Technology Division, which I didn't know we had a Foreign Technology Division. I didn't either. <laughs> um, hatched the story about Nightingale being of E.T. debris to catch a suspected Soviet spy. Allegedly, the trap worked, but the rumors about Nightingale spread as a consequence. So this is, again, another weird cover-up. So you have this colonel who is saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we made up the, the Nightingale was a, a UFO alien debris to trick this Russian Soviet spy. Um, I have a really hard time with that story as well. That's so really kind of believable, but... Yeah. Um, but again, because of that, the rumors spread out of control as a consequence. So again, pretty fishy stuff, but it was an interesting time. Um, 47, I believe, was the year. So we are in, you know, around World War II era. Um... So it's not, it's not impossible, but it's unlikely, I think. Gotcha. Um, in just a second, we will talk about the alien autopsy, and then we will talk about Area 51. Eamon investigates Ray Centilli and Gary Shufield have come clean for the very first time about the fact that they filmed an alien autopsy in a North London flat in 1995 and unleashed the infamous footage on an unsuspecting world. But despite admitting this, they maintain this film is based on a real alien autopsy shot in 1947 by an army cameraman at Roswell. And they still claim that a small part of it is actually real footage. I should have let it lie, but I couldn't. How much of the 1947 film was in that 1995 hoax or reconstruction? No, restoration. Or restoration. Um, I'd say probably less than 5%. Can you identify those 5%? I think as, as you go through it, if you, if you watch it carefully, you, 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 can, you can see when, when it starts to, to, to fade out and light out, you'll see flashes come in. You can, I think it's, yeah. So at what point do we start seeing the recreated or the restored footage as opposed to what was original? I, I don't think any of us knows anymore. Oh, come on. No, because I think, Ray, well, Ray, you fill in, but there were different bits that were salvage of the original yeah. film that come in at we different points. We worked with a series of stills, and um, the, the, the stills are within that footage, but, uh, um, you know, obviously the, the, the main part is, uh, is what has been created by us and by John. How many reels of the original film had you got? Uh, I took 22 reels off the original cameraman, and uh, that's what we brought back to London. And where is that film now? 
Um, the film now, for the most part, is in Germany. Um, I've got a few frames here, which I can show you right now. Which... All right, so that was a brief explanation um, of Alien Autopsy, kind of. We're going to talk about it, too, but... Um, so basically these two guys so this gentleman his name is his show is Eman Est investigates so he finds things that he needs to investigate and he looks into them and he talks to the people um but so in 2005 you have this mysterious alien autopsy footage released um and it was like besides the fact that it was like cruddy grainy phone camera quality um it was pretty interesting, and we'll post that up on our Twitter, Conspiracy Corner VC, and um, we'll post the link to that. But so basically, it starts with an alien who appears injured on a table, and then two men enter and begin examining him. This goes on for about 20 minutes. Um, again, <laughs> 20 minutes is too long. <laughs> yeah, again, it's like grainy quality, um, and there the filmmakers have said that there are original images within it. That's what he was just kind of talking okay. about. Yeah. Um, it was confirmed a hoax. A lot of people believed this when it was first released, but it was confirmed a hoax by the makers, Ray Santilli and Gary Schofield, who we heard on the recording as well. Um, but they stated that it was a replica of actual top-secret footage, which is what he was talking about in the clip, is well, still in Germany. Well, if it was top-secret, then... Right, why did they have it, yeah. right? Yeah. So there's a whole thing about that, um, how originally it was supposed to be... Um, like made into a movie and then Santilli got his hands on it but yeah it, it's actually it's actually a replica but it also has actual images within it was just a lie I think that spiraled out of control and you can tell I mean it looks like top level props like it's not it does yeah it's not an alien you should have seen my face watching that video yeah. I was like wait <laughs> that looks super fake um so just so you guys know that is a hoax I know people still believe it sometimes but um yeah and if you want to learn more about um, their little lie, you can watch Eman Investigates. All four clips are on YouTube. Um, but we're going to dive into Area 51 and then wrap up with some of our theories. Yeah, okay. So I have some facts about Area 51 that I found from National Geographic. Um, the name Area 51 is from its markings on 1950s Nevada test site maps. Today, the official name of Area 51 is Air Force Flight Test Center Detachment 3. Yeah. Um, it was also referred to as Groom Lake, which was a dry lake that Area 51 was built around. Paradise Ranch, an enticing way to get people to s accept positions. Like, I guess they couldn't get people to work there because it was too freaky. Yeah. Um, well, and they probably had to threaten their lives. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't tell anyone or we'll bury you in the desert. Right. Um, Watertown, the official name of the test site given in 56. And Dreamland, after an Edgar Allan Poe poem, the line from that poem is, The traveler traveling through it may not dare not openly view it. Never its mysteries are exposed to the weak human eye unclouded. Which is very mysterious. That is very mysterious. Um, and again, sounds like a threat. <laughs> it does sound like a threat, doesn't it? <laughs> and Edgar Allan like Poe was in on it. <laughs> yeah, he probably, he probably knew some aliens in his time. Maybe, I don't know. Um, in the early days, the only entertainment that Area 51 had was tennis court and a small bowling alley. There was no television, and radio signals only made it through the surrounding mountains in the evening. That's to link this back to a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the moon landing, um, there is actually a conspiracy that Area 51 was the place where they did film it. Um, yes. Uh, you you remember that conspiracy, yeah. right? Yeah. We talked about About that. them uh, 
having some sort of filming site. Yeah, they say that it could have happened in Area 51, which I guess is believable if, if you believe in that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess it would have the space to do it and it would be yeah. top secret enough. Um, after the increase in UFO sightings in 52, the CIA concluded that there is a remote possibility that they may be interplanetary aircraft and that it was necessary to investigate each sighting. Um, 90% of reported UFO sightings could be easily debunked, but 10% were a number of incredible reports from credible, credible observers. However, when I was doing the research on this, they never say who these people are that right. are quote-unquote credible observers. Yeah, they keep um, everything really hush-hush Yeah, I'm, I would probably guess that it, it's probably people that worked there. Yeah. You know? Um, or maybe still do, and that's why they can't release their names. Correct. Um, and the last fact I have is over half of all UFO reports from the late 50s through the, through the 60s were accounted for by manned flights named the U-2 over the U.S., um, Pretty hush-hush around there. Right? Um, a little more on the U-2 testing um, from Popular Mechanics article. The making of the myth was because of the U-2 testing that began in July 1955. That's when the reports about unidentified flying objects came about. Um, many of these sightings were viewed from commercial airplanes due to the high altitudes this aircraft mm -hmm. was flying. However, you know, back then they could only fly 10 to maybe 20,000 feet. Yeah. Um, and the military aircrafts could fly 40,000, whereas this U-2 aircraft could fly 60,000 feet, um, which yeah. is amazing for back then, I guess. Right. Um, these details were not able to be declassified at the time since it was military testing, so it came to be known as UFO sightings. Um, this included Gary Powers' U-2s, U-2 that was shot down over Russia. Um, there was also a report in 2013 that released a bunch of confirmed Area 51 existent, um, like little facts, I guess. Um, it revealed about Area 51, Groom Lake, and even the map of the area. Um, area 51 seemed to be a place to have aircraft testings. Um, and it also included a 12 bird of prey F-117A and Tacit Blue. Tacit Blue? Tacit Blue? I don't know. These are all like classified yeah. names i guess that they they're like nicknames in the 2013 report it might were, even be it's yeah. t-a-c-i-t -T. it might even be an, an like an anagram it could it didn't it didn't give out a full name on the article yeah but so um, that might be it definitely could um today area 51 is still very much in use google maps even even shows that there is new construction and expansions there are many opinions that say there are classified aircrafts and more more being developed there still, mm -hmm. um, such as radio communication, energy weapons, and lasers. Um, there are two people, Merlin and Chris Pocock, um, are the most notorious for these predictions, um, but they've even been intimidated by guards and security for looking too much into the predictions. So I guess, I think Merlin is um, the more of the philosopher type person, yeah. um, and Chris Pocock is actually someone that worked on the base. Yeah. Um, how is this connected to Roswell? Um, the Sun Magazine. Roswell is one of the most discussed and controversial UFO theories in history. Um, in 47, the military had a press release that it found remains of a crashed flying saucer in the desert, but then took back the statement, like we said earlier. Um, during the time frame of the crash UFO, Sheriff Jess Slaughter and Deputy, Deputy Sheriff Charles Fogus were on duty in the patrol car, um, and they said that they heard reports on the police radio of a crashed aircraft. Um, and 
this deputy, uh, Fogus, claims that he saw the saucer smash into the side riverbed and that the flying object was about 100 feet across. Um, he described a scene as, when we got there, this, the land was covered with soldiers. They were holding a big creature, which, you know... quote before, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a little weird. Um, the bodies must have been five feet tall. I saw the legs and the feet on some of them, and they look our, like how tall we were right. or how big our feet were. Um, it was said that Roswell was a place of alien technology, and it was where meetings and joint undertakings with extraterrestrials occurred. Others suggested that it is a research site for a range of exotic weapons and technologies. This includes the development of time travel or teleportation technology. Another theory is that the Aurora stealth plane is being tested there. Area 51 has an incredible theory of being a base for one world uh, government. Yeah, so I guess um, we're going to wrap up now. But, I mean, there's like I said, there's a lot to Roswell. There's a lot to Area 51. Um, and if you guys want to hear more on that, we can definitely, I think, dive a little bit deeper, especially into Area 51 and just yeah. some of the things people have talked about. Um, I do want to wrap with a couple of theories. We do have your prophecy for you um, as well. So real quick, some popular Roswell theories are that the U.S. military created the UFO crash to distract from a jet fighter prototype that crashed around the same time. Hmm. A crashed RAF, RAAF missile, explained, this explains needing the armed guard to move the materials. Gotcha. Um, a Fugo balloon launched by Japan in 1945 that fell to Earth two years later. Hmm. A high-altitude uh, U.S. balloon used as part of Operation Mogul. So this is top-secret intelligence gathering device. Um, the cover-up had to do with national security. The bodies found around the crash site were actually dummies that they said were used to test high-altitude parachutes. Hmm. Yeah. Five feet? Yeah. Dummies? Um, the, it was an alien-driven craft that came to Earth for an unknown reason. Um, this has since been back-engineered to help excel aeronautical breakthroughs. And then, um, so when referring to these things, in 1997, a CNN or Time poll was taken to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Roswell crash, and 80% of American public believe that the government is hiding info about the UFO mystery. 54% of the people surveyed were certain that life exists outside of Earth. 33 expect extraterrestrial beings to appear somewhat human. 64 are convinced that alien life forms have made contact with humans. And 37 are concerned that ETs are abducting humans. Hmm. So, final verdict, Lacey. What do you think? I don't believe the balloon theory. I definitely don't believe the balloon theory. Um, no. I, I mean... It's hard to say exactly because the evidence is so scarce. Right. And um, all over the place. It's really all over the place. rightfully so. Like, I think that's, they did that on purpose. Anytime there was something out there that kind of set you in the right direction. They would put something there else was that something would put else. you in the opposite direction. So there was always yeah. contradicting um, items. I, I definitely think extraterrestrials have been here. I agree. Whether or not we have actually made contact with them is the sketchy part to me. I agree with that as well. I think we've seen them. I don't know if we have them in these bunkers. I don't think it's far-fetched that we have them in these bunkers. I don't... Considering they're so classified. I want to believe that a UFO crashed because I want to believe that aliens are bad drivers like people. But <laughs> I don't. I don't know where I stand on it. I just feel like I, I'm just very evidence-based and I just need... More, more evidence yeah, that makes sense same. um but i don't believe it was a balloon unfortunately so Me what either. do you guys think let us know on twitter valencia college uh, valencia college that's where we're at mm -hmm. let us know on twitter and instagram conspiracy corner vc um today's prophecy comes from our blind prophet baba vanga that we've spoken about before 
Um, and she said in 2221, search for extraterrestrial life will lead humans to a terrible discovery. So we're going to leave you guys with that. Stay safe. We'll see you next week. And um, we will not be doing any more space-related stories for a while. We actually have a whole new theme for you guys for February. So we'll see you. We'll see you next week.